0: This is the Game Day on Rocket Top Podcast, episode 150. That's a big mark there, isn't
1: it, wow. that, I'm honored to, uh, I mean, I've, I've been on most of them, but I'm, I'm honored to, uh, apologies to Brad for being on episode 149, I'm, I'm happy to be on episode <laughs>
0: 150 here. Yeah, do, does anybody know what the special gift is for uh, 150?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's probably like a, a piece of candy
0: or something, yeah. something like that. It, it might yeah. be a sack of potatoes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'll have to i we'll have to treat ourselves tomorrow to a peppermint or whatever.
0: All right. So I, I got three seconds in before I got sidetracked. So <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and uh, I'm with uh, Will uh, Shelton tonight. So uh, we got lots of stuff to get to. I'm gonna we're gonna run through basically the same questions with Will that we ran through with uh, Brad last night. Including the off-topic question, which I, Brad and I just started talking about books last night for some reason. So, uh, Will's uh, uh, short answer: Do you have a uh, do you have a favorite novel?
1: Oh man, uh, a favorite novel. Um, mm. Oh man, I have I have lots of favorite things. I really like um, I liked uh, Sid Hartha by Herman Hesse when I was growing up. Um, it's, that's that's kind of a coming okay. of age from a different sort of religious perspective okay never never read it didn't have to didn't have to read it in school anything like that me like i, mean, I had to read it for school yeah i've never even heard of that
0: it must be never like an alcoa it. thing or something
1: maybe we we are uh alcoa was an a plus uh, school system in the state of <laughs> tennessee when i was there uh yeah, I not don't, i don't remember if it was like freshman year or it was a high school year uh that it was required reading but it's like a it's Herman Hess. It's like a, a, a near-eastern sort of coming-of-age uh, oh. thing. is one of the first things I read from a, like a non-white Christian perspective, but also still very spiritual about this guy that's sort of looking for meaning in all kinds of different ways. Um, and uh, that uh, was a helpful book to me when I was someone who was also looking for meaning um, outside of the sort of normal Judo-Christian Chris- sort of – uh, answers that are given there. So, uh, I, I really like, that's the answer that I want to give when I want to sound smart and distinguished. Uh, I really <laughs> like Harry Potter. It, it, so, you know, <laughs> it like yeah. could, right. I can, I'd be happy to talk about Harry Potter, uh, as well. So I've never read, those.
0: uh, uh I probably should really, have. Yeah. Man, I, I really have.
1: I have they not. are, uh, it's for me, I, I came into them later on, like, I think the first book now is a bit of a challenge because the kids are so young in the, in the first book. So you're dealing with like, I think 11 year olds in the, in the first book. But then every next book is another year at the Hogwarts, the the school. And so, um, by the time it gets to like three or four, they get really good. And she is just a fantastic, uh, writer. I also really like, I'm trying to cover all of my bases yeah. here. Uh, I really like some of the less famous Michael Crichton books, um, like Sphere. Uh, it was made into a terrible movie after they had tried like five of his other books uh, into into movies. But um, that is a really good, interesting, uh, interesting book. Um,
0: so very cool. See, so yeah, you get you, you guys were way too smart for us. And in public school in uh, uh, Edgington, Illinois, you know, our required reading was like Dr. Seuss uh, shell. Shell Silverstein. Um, yeah, where the sidewalk ends is—I mean, it's not a novel, but also a, a a favorite, sure. Yeah, I once memorized Sarah, Sarah, Cynthia, Sylvia Stout would not take the garbage out. That was fun. So anyway, and I just want to mention too—I thought I heard you say Judo Christian, which which I found like really really funny for some reason. Like Karate Jesus. Yes. there yeah. you Go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I do um I'm a fan of of uh. I like talking about Karate Jesus in sermons, as in terms of like when they came to arrest him to be crucified. Could he not have just turned into Karate Jesus and taken everybody out? So
0: <laughs> wax on. If, if that
1: maybe that was a uh, you know a Freudian slip there, because I really do enjoy the image of Karate Jesus. Uh, it's very so.
0: good. Yeah, I like that. All right. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, uh, Vols. Yeah, that's why we're right. here, right? <laughs> right. Okay. So uh, we we beat uh, UTEP, but the score twenty four to zero. Um, lots of, uh, people sort of, uh, grumpy about that. Uh, how's your emotional level about a score of 24 to zero versus UTEP?
1: I think you could kind of see it happening as the game was unfolding. Uh, I mean, I know I saw it happening on my Twitter feed of yeah. people reliving the angst of scores that were far too close against inferior competition in the last few years, but this one was so different from those in terms of the way Tennessee actually dominated the opponent in in yards per play and S P plus and those kinds of things so uh, you know we we've covered the offense both as it happened and i know you wrote about this that when you fumble at the 1 yard line and when you have a chop block callback another touchdown and when your coaching staff like it wasn't that they 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 didn't seem disinterested in doing anything the way that Butch Jones and those guys often did when they were playing the North Texases of the world but they certainly didn't seem they seemed very confident that Tennessee was going to win the game as they should have been yeah and so you know they they were efficient without trying to be overly explosive i'm not sure they thought they were going to score a touchdown on that little toss to Ty Chandler there even though it was the i think the first play of the second half right but um so I think they coached that exactly the way they wanted to, plus or minus a fumble at the one-yard line. So uh, offensively, you know, Tennessee Tennessee went up like 17 spots in S P Plus this week, and UTEP is literally the worst team in college football in that metric. So you really have to handle them well to to make that big of a jump when the the you know that system expects you to really dominate them. Yeah, I think the other thing too is the defense dominated in a non-exciting way which is to say it reminded me of some high school games that i've seen where the other team is just so much better that every drive is a punt and like that's not exciting there's no interceptions there's no goal line stands or turnovers or anything like that but i mean it was just a a complete boring it, it was as dominating as you can be defensively while also doing that in the most boring way possible so yeah, like it wasn't memorable. You're not going to, at the end of the year, say, oh, remember this big play or whatever. But still, I mean, incredibly impressive. Not that they shut them out, but just that they made them punt on every single drive. Um, yeah. That's really good and, and impressive. So, yeah, I think it was – I think if we don't see the last couple years of Tennessee struggling with UMass and Ohio – I mean, that's a long list, you know. UMass, Ohio, uh, North Texas – southern miss last year kind of things had already gone off the rail but even indiana state last year was was closer play for play than it should have been so if we hadn't been through all of that the last couple years i think folks would have really not had much to say about this game other than this is what happens when you fumble at the one yard line
0: yeah there's something to be said about uh boring forgettable wins too uh i remember watching uh, a few weeks ago john pennington had uh, a bunch of 98 players on and uh they couldn't remember. They had. I think it was Jeff Hall. He said, "You know, somebody said something about our win over who was it? UAB that year." And he said, "We yes, didn't play. Yeah. We, we didn't play UAB." <laughs> and uh, Will Overstreet said that he didn't remember the game either. So you know, you know, it's 20 the, yeah, years. Yeah, was
1: the, Well, no, that was that day was the day that um, Ohio State lost to Michigan State, and so uh-huh. like I, I was in the in the stadium at Tennessee's game. This is back back when the only way you could follow other games is if you had a radio or maybe like five people in the stadium brought one of those portable, you know, handheld TV sort of yeah. contraptions. Uh, you know, if, if you're under the age of 20, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, like people, I think we beat UAB like 37 to 13 or something like that. But all anyone was interested in was watching Ohio State struggle and then ultimately watching them lose that game, which meant. Tennessee was number two going into the day, which then Tennessee went to number one and, of course, played Arkansas the next week. But, yeah, I mean, I remember being in the stadium that day, and it was one of those games where once you got up two touchdowns on UAB, you knew you were going to win. And then that slow trickling, is Ohio State really going to go down to to Nick Saban's Michigan State team? Um, And finally, when it happened, seeing pockets of the stadium – I used to love this. It doesn't happen as much anymore – Pockets of the stadium where people have radios or TVs celebrate when there was an interception, I think, late in that game. Uh, that, so, like I said, the things I remember most about that day are not what Tennessee did against UAB. It's that emotion of, oh, my gosh, we're going to be number one tomorrow. Uh, so I can I can forgive Jeff Hall and uh, and, and Overstreet and those guys for forgetting. Yeah. It was UAB, and I think Houston was the other uh, – I think we beat Houston 42-7. to seven. Um, so yeah, th- those are, those are not the games anyone thinks of when they think of 1998. It's all
0: right. I, I guess it's fair to say that Hall and Overstreet probably weren't, didn't have, uh, Ohio State, Michigan State or whoever it was on, uh, on their little, uh, TV things down on the side. But They could have had the, uh, the Bobby Denton update, you know, that, that was the great,
1: uh, you know, how most of the stadium found out back then when you don't have yeah. Twitter or anything else is waiting for the PA announcer to, to announce it over the thing. Yeah. This happened, um, it was a couple years ago, I, I think I wrote about this, two years ago when we needed LSU to beat Florida to win the East, and we were playing Missouri. Uh, the fact that now not everyone's phone, the Wi-Fi in the stadium is terrible, and not everyone's phone was refreshing at the same time. And so I know that game ended with LSU getting shut back, shut down twice at the one-yard line. Um, but before there was a play before that, that lsu like hit a big pass or something where they yeah. got down to you know the five yard line or something and i remember sitting there in the stands and and seeing people all over the stadium start celebrating
0: yeah
1: and I, I mean i remember saying over and over something good is happening so you know lsu must have won the game something good is happening but it was instead just people were delayed with their, their people were <laughs> celebrating something that actually happened five minutes earlier and then, you know, other people obviously were not jumping up and down realizing that, um, that Florida had won that game. So that's just an interesting – that's how things have changed inside Neyland Stadium when you're trying to pay attention to other games that have a huge impact on Tennessee. Uh, it, it, is, it has changed. And the fact that we can't all simul- – we all needed a radio, you know. No, no yeah. one had a radio. That's what we needed in that moment was a radio. But, but uh, technology was not our friend that day.
0: Yeah there are no more radios everybody streams over the phone and you know everybody like you said different time shift so anyway uh i had asked brad another question about utep but we're done with utep right we don't care about utep right. anymore yeah yeah
1: yeah not going to matter
0: all right so uh florida um i you know I, I i'm berating myself for even asking this question because it it's just it sounds like a terrible question but I think there's some value to it. So, um, is is the game Saturday between the two worst teams in the SEC East, and and if so, how how depressing is that? <laughs>
1: uh, maybe. Uh, I think I think this division is close enough that at the end of the year you're going to have like three, two and six teams or, or something like that. I don't I don't think there's going to be uh, honestly unless it's unless it's us uh, unless it's Tennessee. I don't think you're going to have you know, a couple of, Oh, or a couple of one and sevens and then some separation. I think you'll probably have a handful of teams that are two and six or three and five or something like that. But in terms of, again, in terms of S and P plus right now, these are the two worst teams in the division. Uh, I know Tennessee was the worst team in the division last year, and you could probably argue that Florida was the second worst team. I mean, maybe Vanderbilt, but not at the end of the year. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, and I think the others – it's too early to judge South Carolina. It, it, it's, South Carolina is kind of like Tennessee where you thought, hey, maybe they can sneak up on somebody that's much better than them, and it turns out not at all. But I don't know that we know a whole lot else about South Carolina other than they're not nearly as good as Georgia. Much like Tennessee, they're not nearly as good as West Virginia, but I, uh, I don't know what else. Um, but Kentucky – uh better than we thought should have beaten florida by more than they did um vanderbilt very real um you know vanderbilt is such a fascinating as we go and talk about the way things used to be not too terribly long ago it was still you never pick vanderbilt ever doesn't matter who they're playing don't pick vanderbilt they won't win and now i mean they have hammered It's not like they're hammering UTEP. They hammered Middle Tennessee and hammered Nevada, which are are teams that have – or programs that have had a pulse recently. Um, And, I mean, one was 28 points and the other one was 31 points, I think. I mean, just hammered those teams. And had every right to beat Notre Dame in South Bend. Um, That was a legitimate close game, I thought. Uh, Shermer is a really good quarterback uh, and not just a really good quarterback by Vanderbilt standards. So now all of a sudden I think, too, when we start talking about Tennessee – it's not even so much of, oh, Vanderbilt or, oh, South Carolina or whatever, just the matchups. Uh, Vanderbilt, not a particularly good-looking matchup for Tennessee right now. Missouri, not a good-looking matchup for Tennessee. I mean, that looks like all kinds of West Virginia. <laughs> um, so now if you're, if you're trying to find – so Tennessee needs to go 3-5 and five, uh, in the SEC to get bowl eligible, and then the other three wins come in the, in the non-conference, you know, given if they beat Charlotte. So you're trying to find three here, you know it's not going to be Georgia, Alabama, and, and probably not Auburn. There's a little bit of wiggle room. Like I had, I think I had Auburn at fifteen percent in the old uh, win calculator machine this week. Yeah. You had them, you had them noticeably higher than Alabama or Georgia, right? Like there was, yeah. there's a little separation there now. Yeah. So we got the bye week. It's it's a potential trap game for Auburn. These are all things we'll talk about in a couple weeks. Auburn's got Mississippi State the week before and Ole Miss the week after. Maybe a little trap space, um, but probably not. Uh, So now you're talking about we got to get three out of the rest of the SEC East. Even if you get this one, and I know this is not the happy conversation we want to get, even if you get the Gators, all right, what's the next easiest one? And I I don't know how to answer that question. You know, like uh, Kentucky, legit. Good, better. Vanderbilt, legit. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, on the road, um, it is not Missouri, no, <laughs> I no. promise you that not right now. Uh, so then they're back to it's South Carolina, the one that some people are even still looping in with that, that stretch. So, um, nothing, nothing is, I, I expect all five of those games to be toss ups. So there's nothing that can happen in Tennessee Saturday that can guarantee an outcome in terms of bowl eligibility to me. Win or lose against Florida, you're going to have four more of these toss-ups. And if you win, you're going to still need to win two of them. And if you lose, you're going to need to win three of them, which obviously is, is a greater challenge. So, yeah, it's, are these the two worst teams in the SEC East? Maybe, and by some metrics right now they, they are. But I, don't, I just don't think there's a lot of space there between South Carolina and Tennessee and the rest of the division outside of Georgia in the middle there. I, I just don't see a whole lot of separation right now.
0: Yeah, and, you know, it's weird because it does seem like Tennessee is improving. And, you know, your, your knee-jerk reaction as well, it's, it's the opponents, right? That, that's why you feel like they're improving. But there's, there's something about it that even accounting for the level of competition just makes you feel a little better about the team, doesn't it? Is that, is that just me?
1: No, I think, that, I think Tennessee's weaknesses or the things that they don't do well right now are much more understandable than they were um, under Butch Jones. When, when, like when I watch this team and I watch the secondary get dusted by West Virginia, I understand why that is. It's in yeah. part because we're choosing to play freshman and West Virginia's got really good players. So like, you cannot like the answers about the pass rush, but those especially – we'll really find out this week but the answer just may be, hey, we don't have the players for that, um, and, and that's going to be a recruiting issue, and that means to get pressure on the quarterback, we're going to have to blitz our tails off and hope that those freshmen back there in the secondary are, are getting better uh, as, as the year goes along. Um, when they don't do things well offensively, so far that has typically been because of a breakdown on the offensive line, and I get it. Like, I, I understand. I don't like it, but I, I, I get it. I understand. So it's it's not what we've seen recently where either Tennessee's play calling is just really, really frustrating and, and borderline ignorant, um, or we're, we're intentionally just doing a whole bunch of crap behind the line of scrimmage and a lot of it goes backward and, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of purpose and they've got unnecessary constraints on – the guy who's one more play away from being the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. So I think Tennessee's weaknesses are apparent, but they also are reasonable. Like it, it makes sense to me why we're bad at the things we're bad at. And that helps me be able to say like, Hey, yeah, again, like Missouri, that's a bad situation for us because we can't get pressure on the quarterback and we've got freshmen on the back end. So like, like, I'm not mad about it. That's just what it is. Uh, you know, so some of that stuff is, is I think it's it's just more understandable situations happening uh, right now. And, and, it's you know, Jeremy Pruitt's had one recruiting class, so you can't say, oh, he should have got better players in here. Uh, so that, that, to me, has made things, I think more than anything, it just makes things a little more simple uh, with this team. And that's why we talked about leading into the season and what we've seen in these first three games is, Hey, look! Look at every play. Look at progress. Uh, and and I see, and I think everybody sees, baby steps of progress. You just also see in some places, hey, we've we've still got a really long way to go.
0: Yeah, you keep hearing uh, Pruitt talk about consistency being the thing, and you know what? He's right. You know. Yeah. Because they can do some things uh, really well at times, uh, but when you don't get, you know, all eleven doing it right each time, then that's one weakness that uh, can blow up a whole play. And you blow up enough of those plays, uh, they start adding up, and you got real problems. So, anyway, and the other thing I was going to say, you know, those freshmen back there, by the time we play Missouri, and if they get torched, everybody will say, well, they're not freshmen anymore, which is one of my favorite things ever for people to say, because you know what? (laughs) They are still freshmen. Everybody else got older, too. Or, you know. Yeah. So.
1: And, and there, too, it doesn't even matter so much about their ex- – if we still can't generate a pass rush up front and, and you're yeah. going against – I mean, Drew Locke is an NFL quarterback. Yeah. Um, hey, Kyle Shermer might be. I, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. But, um, you know, you if you can't generate pressure at some point, you can only cover those guys for so long. Um, and and some of that is on Pruitt. And I think this this is another area of progress. Pruitt is learning how, how – risk averse he should or shouldn't be when it comes to calling a defense uh, against an offense that's got some firepower this one Saturday should not fall into that category as much but you know he's he's learning too here's how much I can ask of these guys uh, and sometimes the consequence is like I mean I think he's even said there's some times against West Virginia where like hey our guys were where they were supposed to be <laughs> just got beat like because they're guarding better players Yeah. Um, so you know I, I really like, and I've heard a couple of people say this, and i I've, I've wrote about it a little bit. I, I like that Pruitt admits his own mistakes and his own flaws. Um, he's learning how to do this too. Uh, I think there's a whole when we were talking before we started recording about Brad's podcast and talking about Derek Dooley. like there's a whole fascinating thing of of Tennessee coaches and how they communicate to us as fans because we've seen so many different guys and so many different personalities over the last 10 years in both football and basketball that, you know, like, like, I think Bruce Pearl ruined us all in this regard (laughs) because he was both incredibly entertaining and also won a lot of games. But, you know, Dooley was... Dooley was usually correct in what he said about his team. It's just also his job to make those adjustments that he never really made. But, um, you know, I, I think hearing especially after Butch Jones hearing Pruitt talk about, Hey, I could have done this better. Hey, I've got to do this better. After five years of a coach that, that within his personality or whatever reason did not want to admit any mistakes, even when mistakes were obvious. Um, that, that is refreshing to me. Um, you know, he's Pruitt will have to learn. Tyson Helton will have to learn fast enough to keep their jobs and so on and so forth. As far as all that goes. Um, and, and this is a, I wrote about it already. This is a big test this week for, for Pruitt and Helton both to say, how, how long are we going to be patient with the run game against these guys? How much are you going to trust Garantano against the best defense he's seen all year when you're going to need more from him to win this game? So, you know, we'll, we'll learn more as it goes, but I, I think within reason, those guys are off to a good start and I have enjoyed Pruitt talking fairly candidly, it seems like about his team and individual players and, and himself in ways that after Butch Jones and, and knowing this guy came from Nick Saban, I wasn't sure we were going to get that. Um, you know, I, th- I thought we might get again the Conzo Martin school of we lost this game because we didn't make shots. Like, yeah, I know that, but but <laughs> please elaborate. And I think he's he's done. And Barnes is good at this too. Um, you know, doing a good job elaborating on some things and and being honest while also doing so in a way that's not throwing your own team under the bus a little bit as as Dooley could do sometimes so um, I, I've I have been more encouraged just by what he says and admitting some flaws and, and admitting his own growing pains that that's just been refreshing to me and I'm, I know I'm not the only one on that.
0: That's Will Shelton. Uh, that'll do it for the Game Day at Rocky Top podcast this evening. We'll have another one uh, where we talk more about Florida uh, later on this week. Um, Brad is up uh, the next day and then Will the, the night after that. So uh, please subscribe so you don't uh, miss anything. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Uh, make it a good one. Uh, bonus points for using the phrase um, – I guess we're gonna go with Dooley's Sack of Potatoes again because that was from last <laughs> night and that was good enough. So Alright, so for Will Shelton, I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and this has been the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast
1: S I D D H A R T H A Herman Hess. So uh, is
0: that is I, that Indian?
1: Yeah, I feel like I should like that's a shout out to I think my freshman English teacher because um, we did a lot of Shakespeare then, but that was also a um, it was a required reading um, in, in high school. And so shout out to either Miss Scruggs freshman year
0: or Dr. Clark sophomore year uh, for uh, for putting that in front of me. So so Will, are you saying that uh, uh, Derek Dooley's like the doctor who says, "Hey, you have cancer. Good luck."
1: I have I just have this image not the image I have the audio of Julie. we may have been talking about this before like at the end of 2011 when he was so tired of getting asked about when Tyler Bray was coming back and he just goes he has a broken thumb (laughs) like Like, exasperated because, you know, we were getting hammered by everyone we were playing, and, and Matt Sims and Justin Worley were not inspiring any confidence. And so, it's like the fan base willed Tyler Bray to come back for that Vanderbilt game, you know? Yeah. But um, I'd love, you know, he, he Dooley was great at press conferences and all that stuff.
0: It's interesting. There's probably an upper level communications course that should be taught by Beverly Davenport. Um, <laughs> that. <laughs> That, that is basically, uh, you know, the, the, what you should do when you're communicating with fans as the new coach is what the other guy who just got fired didn't do. So, yeah, you do that, you're going to be fine. There's your 400-level course.